fans wherever you may be. Welcome inside the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and featuring 12thManRising.com editor and football analyst, Keith Myers. Hey, Seahawks fans, it's Bill Alpstead and the Hawks Playbook Podcast. I'm here with our uh, featured uh, writer and editor of all things Seahawks, Keith Myers. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. Hey, how's it going? Good. You ready to um, talk cornerbacks today? Today is the cornerback camp battle episode, so absolutely. Yes. We're almost through this. We've, we we're, we're down to our last couple of position groups, if you want to call special teams kickers and punters and all that kind of stuff, a, a, a group. Um, that might be generous. Yeah, there, there, there's four of them on the roster currently. <laughs> Two of them are long snappers. So, nonetheless, we will talk about them. I think though that we will combine them. We'll throw them into the back end of the safety thing because I think that's what they deserve. They just need to be thrown in somewhere. They they are members of the roster. We should talk about them. Although, sometime. when if Blair Wallace miss, misses a kick that costs us anything at all, that's it's going to end up being one of the most important position groups on the team. Yes. And I'm going to um, be very unhappy when that finally happens because we know it will happen at some point. And well, while we we're talking about it, do you, do you expect them to bring in another kicker at all? I, I mean, I do. I, yeah. I, I expect them to have one in the training camp. Do you expect but, them to bring in a kicker to actually compete? Yeah. Or just, or just a camp leg? Um, I expect them to bring in a kicker that's there that they would be okay with if. Blair Walsh's um, mindset isn't right, and they don't trust him. But... Well, this is one of the situations uh, where I could easily see the Seahawks pick up a kicker that uh, is cut in the final week of training camp and bring them in if they're not happy with Blair. Yep. So um, before we get to the featured segment, uh, this uh, podcast. We are going to talk a, uh, a couple of things uh, in the news this week, uh, Seahawks-related. Uh, Eddie Lacy, uh, and, and this is, again, one of those things I, I hate to talk about because it's going to happen every month throughout the year, and we're going to talk about it every third or fourth podcast. But uh, he had his uh, bonus money uh, come up again uh, in the news uh, for his um, the weight guarantee part of his contract. And he passed that. He he met his weight goal and uh, earned himself a check for fifty five thousand dollars. Yay! He made weight again. Okay, Yay. that's all. That's, that's all we're going to talk about. As that, let's move <laughs> exactly. on. Exactly. <laughs> and well, I like it too because he's he's going to be the perfect weight. I mean, this is not going to be a problem. You know, mm-hmm. let's just put it that way. This thing is going to be great. I think. Pete's got him right where he wants him, and I'm really looking forward to actually seeing Eddie Lacy on the field because Rawls is so excited. I think he's going to get Eddie Lacy excited again this year. He's playing for a contract, a, you know, a longer term contract, either with the Seahawks or with another team, and I'm I'm really excited about our run game this year. So that'll be that'll be good. Well, it, it would, this would be news if Eddie Lacy wasn't making weight, but he is. So that means he's going to be ready for camp and he's going to be ready for the season and that he's going to be right where the team wants him to be. And therefore, it's not a story. But unfortunately, all these little bonus checks makes it a story and makes it keep coming up. And yeah, it's, it's, 
it's why don't we make it, a pledge it, that we don't talk about it again unless he doesn't make it? I How about like that? that. Let's do it. Let's definitely do that because I maybe am we can set the trend. The story. <laughs> Go for it. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. And the and the other thing that's happening uh, this week, right now, today, is the um, required mini camp. So all veterans, all players on the roster need to be in camp the next three days. Consecutive is it consecutive days, Keith? Um, usually it is. Um, I actually didn't look at the schedule because... So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or there might be a break, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Mm -hmm. Uh, So all the guys, all the players are in camp. We expect everyone. Uh, We expect everyone. The one player who um, there was a little concern about is Michael Bennett. Not, I mean, he he got his contract, so it's not a... um, it's not a situation where you know where, where he was doing that, but it's just the the OTAs are not mandatory, and he keeps himself in in excellent shape and everything, and he knows the defense, and so he doesn't need the installation part, so he skips those and lets the younger players get his time. But he does like his money and doesn't want to get fined for not showing up to the mandatory parts of things. So he and hey hey Keith, if I if I lived in Hawaii, it would take an awful lot for me to get pulled over here to the United you know the mainland to uh, to go to work. So absolutely, I am not <laughs> I am not judging that one bit because but he he is uh, expected to be there when things open this morning. Um, the only the team, non-participant right now is uh, Deshaun Shedd, who we will it, talk about a little bit later in our featured segment. Yep, he's still it, recovering from his uh, his knee mm-hmm. that he got in that last uh, the, the playoff game against Atlanta, where he he uh, tore his ACL. Was it ACL? Yep. And uh, so, and he's not expected to be in camp or ready for camp or even ready for the the start of the season but everyone no. else sounds like but they're Tyler migrating is, to, is yeah. there he's not practicing but he's there with the team he's working out he's participating he did he did field a couple punts though the other day i read yeah he caught them he didn't run them back though Fair uh, enough. it's it's a matter of because they're they're trying to ease him back i mean his leg injury was brutal and so they're um they're easing him back into things so that's good but the fact that he's out there on the field catching punts is a great sign because this is still early so I have a question for you Keith so uh, last year when uh, Jimmy Graham came back um, after his devastating knee injury the the prior uh, the end of the last season he just wasn't quite ready to go completely 100% didn't practice a lot didn't have a lot of rep time with um, Wilson um, and then came on kind of in the year. I'm not going to say he had a bad year because he had uh, almost a thousand yards and um, quite a few catches. Went to the Pro Bowl, but it sounds like this year he's going to be. You know, he's fully ready. He's fully mm-hmm. participating. Do you expect the injuries to some of the other guys uh, that we've been talking about to impact their season in the same way that it might have impacted Jimmy Graham? Not really, because it's a different injury. Uh, a patellar tendon injury is a much bigger deal. Uh, it's a career ender for some guys, and it is one of those things that takes a lot longer to re- to recover from. And you have to be really careful with the recovery because, since once it's like reattached and everything, you can't. Is that the same thing that like Greg Oden had, Keith? I mean, he had a lot going on with his knee, he but it wasn't one of them. On, but I don't remember if there was a patellar tendon involved. I think I think there was. I think there was. Um, Plus microfracture surgery and all that kind of crap. Yeah, that, anyway, anyway. Things get bad. Well, I was just to right. say, with, with, um, with Graham, what you have is 
Uh, once when they do the reattachment and recovery, they immobilize the leg and you can't use it. So you have this a tremendous amount of muscle atrophy within the leg um, before you can start the recovery. And so you have no range of motion and very little muscle and you're really starting from scratch. And Jimmy Graham talked about it as when he first got you know the the brace off. It was learning to walk again because you well, and he's. To... I think he said his calf. His calf was literally uh, like three inches smaller than his other one. Yeah, and it, it it it's it, it's a profound change in the in the leg that you have to come back from. And so there is um, a lot of worry about re injury. There's a lot of stress on muscles that didn't ha- get stressed before because you had, you know because you no longer have muscle masses. So it, there's a lot of management that has to go on. And you end up inadvertently putting a lot of strain on the other leg. And so there, there's a history of uh, guys coming back from, from the injury that Graham had that will tear a calf in the other leg the following season or that kind of thing. I think that's what um, yep. the wide receiver from New York. Uh, Plaxico Burris? No, not, not Burris. with the Giants. Oh. Oh, okay. Um, now you now I've lost it. Yep. Oh, whatever. Oh, it'll come to me in like five minutes when we're talking about something else. But yeah, that was what they had, that person had was they you know coming back from from the um, from the tendon injury and they tore a muscle in the calf the following year and so they ended up losing another season. Um, well, something to similar injury. too happened to P. Rich when he came back and uh, and hurt his hamstring in the opposite mm-hmm. leg. I think I believe. Yep. Um, so, so yeah, so that, that it's, it's a common thing and it really does take another year, but to get fully back and he is, he's back now with, um, so Thomas and Lockett, we can anticipate are, them having, being a hundred percent. Thomas broke his leg, but he didn't even need surgery for it. And he's back running. Pete Carroll says he's out there at practice, like flying around looking like Earl Thomas already. I, I don't, I have no worries about him. Lockett's injury was a compound fracture, so it tore through the muscle, through the skin, you know. Lovely. So, there, so there's some damage there that has to be repaired, but it's not the type of thing that will linger the way the patellar tendon injury will. So I think he'll be he'll be now what back. Are, Maybe not what about right those, in the beginning, but he'll be back. What about those two guys, like, mentally? I mean, that seems like it would be the biggest hurdle, especially for a guy like Lockett, who really needs that acceleration and quickness um, and planting and... and I mean, both those guys, obviously, but um, do you see it'll him be, returning kicks hard. at all this year? It'll be hard, but it depends on the guy. I mean, some guys, it doesn't affect them at all. They just go right back out there and throw themselves into a wall again, and other guys, it's a major hurdle. So I don't that's know. That's true. That's um, true. I don't think it's the returning kicks that's going to affect Lockett because that wasn't when where he broke it, it was uh, catching a touchdown and having guys land on his legs from behind where I think he, we might see him alligator arms, some catches when he's going over the top and knows there's contact there. Um, well, let me ask that you this. He'll have to work through. If he didn't return kicks, uh, is there anybody on the roster that we could look at that would have, that could secure that job? I know there's guys that have caught some and, or uh, took took kicks in uh, college and so forth, but really nobody that I know of on the team other than you know Doug Baldwin and a couple other guys. Well, as far as um, as far as the actual like returning kicks, um, like kickoffs, because kick, that's different because you're not catching with a guy in your face and you want a guy with speed and, and that kind of thing. 
Paul Richardson um, did it the year before. Cyril Grayson could be a guy that I could see. Them, oh, that's right. Uh, yeah. Oh, them throwing out there because of be his fun. because of his speed. Um, so there's some other guys in there that you could uh, throw in there. C.J. Procise or J.D. McKensick would be fun uh, guys to see do that. But returning punts is the harder job because you have to you have to catch the ball with someone in, just a guy in your face. You have to be looking at the guys coming down at you while you're tracking the ball and getting ready to catch yep. it. It's it's a much more difficult job. And um, you know, I don't know I don't know if any of those guys are ready to do that. Um the Seahawks have used uh Richard Sherman in that role when they needed someone like uh you Steady. know for yeah. an emergency. Um, right. I could see Shaq Griffin, the rookie cornerback, which we'll talk about here in a minute, being a good addition in that spot. Um, but, of course, I've never seen him catch a punt with a guy barreling down on him trying to kill him. So, uh, that, I mean, that's one of the things that uh, Lockett made look easy. And yeah. before and before him, Golden Tate made it look really easy. Yeah, those guys um, are special. special they, guys. And they really are. And so it's and it becomes a question of, okay, well, you know, do they have that guy? I don't know. We'll see. Um I suspect someone will grow into the role. So, yeah. So look for some news on training camp stuff this week, you know, and after that, boy, it really dies off uh, for the Hawks because everyone kind of goes their separate ways for about a month. And, um, and, and then we get back together, uh, I think the last week of July. And Mm -hmm. uh, that's when training camp officially begins. So, and maybe, maybe you and I should, take a trip to training camp this year. Who knows? Absolutely. That would, that would be kind of fun actually. And then we could actually get some pictures that we could use on the website. <laughs> that would be nice. You know, cause anybody that knows anything about any websites and the team and, and the NFL and so forth, it's really hard to find pictures you can use. And I'm, I'm personally struggling with that right now. I'm asking, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm asking a, a public, uh, a plea to Keith to help me with that because, uh, he's probably got a few more resources than I do. I'm used to having an image service and a whole massive, you know, library of of pictures from USA Today that I'm available that are available to me to um, to use. And our website, since it's not part of that, we don't have that access. So it's um, it's been a little more interesting, and I'm I'm yeah. working on I'm working on getting on getting that taken care of. Yeah, I'm hope uh, hopefully we don't get to the point where I'm actually using uh, stick figures and crayon drawings from my you know my son's uh, preschool days to just throw up there for something. So I think we can if we can avoid that, I'll be you know, okay. Maybe we should do that though. We should. I, I I have I have preschoolers. I'm like here, draw me a draw me a stick figure of. Richard Sherman tipping the ball away from, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> from someone. <laughs> well, here's a stick figure drawing. At least we could say we had original art. You know, yeah. not a lot of websites can do that. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, this week's featured segment is the cornerback camp battles that we'll likely see uh, come uh, July, and what we can expect to uh, to emerge from those battles, um, starters. Uh, key contributors and so forth. So, um, you like uh, a guy in particular, and I had him first on the list um, in Pierre Desir. In fact, you wrote an article uh, back in February uh, specifically about this guy that that told us 
that we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't sleep on Pierre Desir um, as a guy that could not. emerge as a key contributor this year. What what is it about Pierre Desir that you really like? Well, I mean, he's got he's got the length the team covets. He's six two. He's got long arms. He's got um, the athleticism. Maybe not the straight line speed, but you see him. Uh, you know, all of his other combine uh, measurements are there. His tape is is good. He's uh, a guy that can defend the edge. He's a, a very much a, a Byron Maxwell type. So, if he um, came into the outside. league, Keith, in two thousand fourteen, why why up to this point hasn't he stuck? Well, he hasn't stuck in part because of the team that drafted him in the third round. That would be Cleveland and their ability to suck the fun out of football. And so Desir got to a point where he was basically questioning whether or not uh, it was worth it for him to keep playing or whether he should start looking into his post-career career. Um because he really d- just did not enjoy playing for the Browns and doing anything with them. Uh, he then moved on to San Diego, and with them, he came in like uh, it was after, you know, he got cut in Cleveland, and um, but it, so it was after training camp. So he w- missed, the, missed installation, he missed all the stuff, and San Diego, uh, with that old coaching staff, didn't do a lot of practicing with pads. It was a lot of um, padless practice. And it was just really hard for him to learn the defense and learn the coverage and learn the stuff that he needed to learn. And But they were so desperate for cornerbacks, they were throwing him out there. And they were also saying, oh, we also want you to play safety. So he was playing some free safety, some cornerback. So he had to learn two positions without being able to practice at either one of them. Uh, so, of course, it's natural. He made some mistakes, and uh, the team didn't like that. They called him out on it. And he kind of was like, no, seriously, this is not cool uh, because they're, they're setting him up. And so when he kind of spoke out and was like, okay, no, I, I, we need more, more support than that, they cut him. They were like, uh-uh. The plan was for him to, for them to bring him back, and they were just trying to prove a point and you know get him to fall in right. line or whatever. But when he had an opportunity, they cut him, so he had an opportunity. The Seahawks called. They brought him in, and he loved it in Seattle. Uh they rekindled. So this is back, uh, what, uh, September, October last year? In yeah. 2016? Last year. So last year, they, the Seahawks bring him in, add him to the practice squad. He comes in. He starts to really enjoy football again, really gets into it, loves the team, loves the atmosphere, loves the guys, and starts playing and starts learning and starts really uh, balling out in practice. And he, the team starts taking notice. And they wanted him they wanted to move him up uh from the practice squad to the roster but then they kept having injuries at other positions especially running back and having to juggle roster spots and there just wasn't that spot and they didn't want to cut a guy like uh DeAndre Elliott because they knew they'd lose him uh if they did so they were like okay well we'll just you know keep him on the practice squad other teams were calling there were other teams that wanted to sign him off the practice squad to their uh, active roster and let him play, but he chose to stay because he I had to give up go... a little bit of money to do that. He did, but he he'd already had enough playing time when he was with the Chargers for last year to count as a year of service. 
you know, towards the becoming an unrestricted free agent versus a restricted or, you know, that kind of stuff. The, those years matter. He'd already played in enough games and been enough and active in enough for that to matter. So he didn't, it didn't matter to him as much. Uh, what he didn't want to do is to go back to another Cleveland situation where he really did not like um, what he was doing, his teammates, the locker room, that kind of thing. So he chose to stay. Um, after the season ended, uh, the, T- the Seahawks were, they went after him hard to keep him. They were not the only team. Um, Detroit wanted him very badly. They offered him a chance to complete, to be a starter. Um, and really, if you look at their roster, because of the lack of, of uh, quality players at the position on it, he would have likely gone into training camp as the number two guy, kind of undisputedly. Um, so they went after him kind of hard. He thought about it going. His agent was like, dude, you should probably go. It's better for your career. He chose to stay in Seattle because Seattle also offered him a chance to start in that number two spot op- opposite of uh, Richard Sherman. And plus there was the the added aspect of how much he likes Seattle and how much he likes this team and the locker room and the way Pete Carroll runs the team. Uh, he's completely bought into all of that. So, uh, and that's why he's here, and that's why he's going to be given a um, a chance to battle for that number two spot, and or the, at least be a key contributor. You know, and you yes. never know how the season rolls along. Too, a guy like that makes the team, plays a lot of special teams, puts himself in a position to where uh, he's competing. Uh, looks like uh, right now with uh, Shaq Griffin for that spot. Uh, eventually, Shed comes back into the mix there. Uh, but but at that point, Shed may not even come back this season. They may decide to go ahead and just shut him down, uh, you know, um, mm-hmm. come October when they really take a look at, at bringing him back. They may make that decision. Uh, Desir has an opportunity here um, to really stick and show what he's got. So um, I'm anxious to take a look and see him on the field. Yeah, and it's one of those things where – the most fans don't know about him. They haven't seen him uh, because he's a, a guy that's only appeared in practice uh, with the team and not during training camp. So they, they don't, they haven't seen him yet, but this was a third round pick who looked really good as a rookie. I mean, he looked really good as a rookie for, for Cleveland and then his play really fell off. Well, but everyone's like, Oh, well, you know, maybe the rookie stuff was a, was a, a mirage. But you start to talk to him and you start to learn some of the backstory and some of the stuff that was going on in Cleveland and just how much that Pierre... Dysfunction. Well, there's a lot of dysfunction on a team well, like that. Yeah, and, and how much he just didn't want to be there. He didn't want to didn't want to play there. He was It was making him question whether he wanted to play football at all. And when you get in that kind of situation, of course your play is going to drop off. So um, this is a guy that has a chance to be a special player. And it's a very weird situation that led him to being with Seattle. And so he has a chance to step in and be a, a player now. And his insurance as well for a guy like Richard Sherman. I mean, Richard is getting a little older and mm-hmm. um, he has played through injuries. In fact, Richard Sherman, I don't think has missed a game, which is remarkable for, for a guy like that. And he's, but he's getting closer to 30, right? He's 29. And um, so a guy like Pierre Desir on a team is really nice because he could play multiple spots. Yeah. And, and so he's a guy that who can play that spot. He's great depth. I mean, and he's battling with, um, you know, the rookie Shaq Griffin for that spot. I actually expect uh, Shaq Griffin to win that number two spot, um, which says a lot about uh, about Griffin. But 
But that doesn't mean that, oh, well, if, if he doesn't win the number two spot, he's going to get cut as far as talking about uh, this year because the team needs more cornerbacks. We, yeah. that's, it, it's a position where injuries are common. Um, and you look back to, you know, through, with, how many with, guys do you expect to, pl- to uh, make the roster at, at corner? Least, at least five. Five tends to be, and it comes down to, we'll talk next week with safety, because last year they kept a lot of safeties because they had guys they um, really wanted to keep, and because they were special teams contributors, um, and they don't, that's not as, it's not as deep of a group this year as it was last year, and so I expect them to keep five or, or maybe six, because maybe with this year they'll keep the extra corner instead of the extra safety. And a guy like uh, uh, Tyson, or um, yeah, that could that could possibly play both. Yeah, um, and so you have you have Desir and Pierre Desir could play exactly play free right. safety. You've got um, Mike Tyson Mc, who can play uh, McDougal, which is listed at safety now, could also play a little corner if he had to in the slot. He can, but I wouldn't. Uh, that that's more of an emergency situation type of thing. Well, okay. So if that happens, your team's in trouble. That's I'll I'll give you that for sure. Yeah. So, so it's nice, uh, it's nice uh, to so have those for, options for... and the flexibility. But I, I, if you're getting McDougal as a corner instead of as a safety, you're you're way down the depth chart. There's a lot of injuries, so that's a lot. That means you're you're in you're in a lot of trouble. So look for Desir to emerge this year as a guy that really nobody's looking at yet. By the time camp is over, this is a guy who could definitely make the the roster and uh, and contribute right away. Um, and the next guy on my list is Elliot, who you'd mentioned earlier, a guy that they didn't want to uh, cut last year, a uh, guy that came in as, as a priority and uh, drafted free agent for the Seahawks in 2016. I kind of had my eye on him in the draft as somebody that we might bring in in this late seventh round or as a free agent, um, just because he's, uh, you know, six foot one, he's got length, he's got a, a four, five, five, 40. Um, did he do enough last year to, to really earn a spot this year? Or is he still battling to, to even be on the roster? He's definitely still battling. Um, but at the same time, he did a lot last year. There's a lot to like about DeAndre Elliott. He, you know, not just the physicals. Uh, he's a guy who, uh, when, you know, when I was at training camp and I was out there, he was one of those guys that came out early and worked one-on-one with coaches, got in extra reps. Um, he was working hard. He was learning. And, you know, he won out and got onto the roster over some, you know, guys that everyone kind of assumed was going to get there. I mean, he earned that spot last year. And then the team brought in a bunch of guys to compete with him. And so he's going to have to earn that spot again. Uh, but his work ethic is is, is high, and, and he's he's a guy that uh, has a lot of promise. And he was an undrafted free agent. He needed a lot of technical work um, because his technique was pretty poor in 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 college. But he has worked his tail off to fix that. Um, and I I want to see what he looks like in camp because I've gotten excited about guys like him in the past, and then for year two they didn't they just don't take that next step that you expect and they yep. end up pl- plateauing at a level where they're a roster bubble guy and well i haven't heard any any news on him either positive or negative uh, up till this point but that doesn't say a lot there's um, just a lot of other guys to talk about um yep. and and so he's one of those guys that is there competing he's um w- 
there's, like I said, there's a lot of promise, a lot of potential, but will he take that step? Um, the talent's there. He can do it, but will he? And it, unless, if he doesn't, I don't see him making the roster because the team doesn't stick with guys that plateau um, before yes. they're ready to play. And um, it, Is he, he still does, practice squad eligible? Yes, absolutely. That might be a spot. I mean, that, that, it, we'll, we'll go through this list and then we'll yep. see if we can figure out the five. Mm-hmm. And and if he's on there, he's on there. But if he's not, that it might be a guy that after we cut him, uh, you would take a look at, at bringing him back onto the practice squad. Um, the next guy on our list, uh, Shaq Griffin, Shaquille Griffin. Uh, the Seahawks uh, uh, waited in the draft. Um, everyone before the draft, uh, us included, thought that uh, Seattle would put a, a higher priority on bringing in a top-notch um corner out of the draft uh kevin king a number of other guys first second round guys that uh, were available um so there was a little bit of frustration coming out of the draft that we didn't get our guys that everyone kind of earmarked uh, for the seahawks as being good fits but uh, tell me a little bit about chat griffin why he's a good fit why we waited until the uh, 90th pick overall to get this guy well, part of the reason the Seahawks waited was because the draft was so deep in cornerbacks. Why would you use the um, 26th pick on Kevin King or that kind of player when you can wait to the 90th pick and get a really good player at the same position? Um, and so it just became a value issue. And in a normal year when their draft isn't really, really deep, a guy like Shaft Griffin would have gone much sooner. He would have gone probably I agree. in the in the 40s because he's super athletic. He's got speed. He's got length. He's got, um, you know, just just at really athletic. I mean, there are some there are some you know technical uh, things that you need to work on with him and and a little bit of his tracking. He yeah, but here's some... a guy that's six one, almost two hundred pounds, mm-hmm. and runs a four three eight forty. So that's quicker than Kevin King. Oh yeah, he's got he's got the the he's got the speed and um he's yeah, he he's just a guy that that he's not 90th overall pick quality. He is well, like here's, 45th, yeah, but it's right. it's just a really weird draft because there were so many great cornerbacks. Well, and he only allowed uh, 32% of the passes thrown his way to be completed. Mm-hmm. And that's really good. I mean, that's on par with what you know, kind of uh, what Richard Sherman is expected to do on the Seahawks, and he did that in college. Granted, it's uh, Central Florida, but mm-hmm. nonetheless, the potential is there. He's got great ball skills. Uh, some of the best ball skills I understand coming out of the draft for any yeah. corner, any defensive back. Um, he's aggressive in run support. He likes to hit people, right? And uh, I had in my notes the really only bad game that he had in 2016 actually came against Amara Darbo, mm-hmm. uh, where he allowed three receptions for 83 yards and two touchdowns. But everybody yeah. else, he really kind of shut down. Darbo, so that even, game, even, there was a lot of even Seahawk that, and Seahawk violence in that game. I know, <laughs> I know, but that's even uh, even that bad note for him is a still a good note for the Seahawks because you know Darbo's emerged so. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot to like about Shaq. It'll be, and they're giving him every opportunity with shut out to take all those, uh, starter reps opposite mm-hmm. Richard Sherman at this point in camp. Desir's right there with him, um, t- uh, taking reps, but, uh, there's a lot to be excited about. And I think Seahawks fans are really anxious to kind of 
put their eyes on this guy for the first time uh, when training camp starts. Yeah, he's he's so, my he's my pick to win to win that starting job, and then um, you know, and then it becomes a battle for who gets to play the nickel because they one of the things they really liked about uh, Shaq Griffin was his profile allows him to slide inside and play against. Uh, in the slot, which is actually harder to do than playing on the outside in Seattle's defense because of you don't have a boundary to help you. Um, but and they they like him as a guy who can slide inside, and so then it becomes who's the nickel corner? Is it the next guy on our list, which is Jeremy Lane, who comes in and plays the nickel in the slot, or is it a guy like um, like Desir or Shed when Shed gets healthy, who comes in at on the outside, and then Griffin slides inside in the nickel, and so that becomes uh, that becomes an, uh, a secondary battle to the first one because if Sh- if Shaq Griffin wins that starting job, that doesn't mean he's out of the, sl- the slot corner job yep. as well because they could still slide him inside when they go to the nickel. Yeah, well, they certainly like their options, and of course, Pete Carroll is a tremendous defensive backs coach. They also have an uh, you know another coach. Uh, and they work wonders with those guys. I mean, we've got some of the best defensive backs in the league consistently year in, year out. So, And that has a lot I, to do with Pete Carroll and Chris Richard, yes. um, who aren't just you know the guys drawing up the X and O's. They're both defensive backs coaches by trade first, and they both get in there, get their hands on guys and teach. Um, Chris Richard is a great teacher. I mean, he is... He is a very, very good teacher, and that's and that part points, of the reason why this team is really solid at, at defensive back and especially at corner. Well, and that pointed to your first point about Desir wanting to be here. That's precisely why he wanted to be here. Yep. You got the, our coaching staff plus guys that we've already got on the team uh, led by Richard Sherman, and uh, who wouldn't want to play here? I, I, it's a, it's a really good situation, even if you take the homerism out of uh, our, our talk. Uh, just from a sheer coachability uh, team situation, this is a really good place to be. Yeah, and one of the things, that we, um, I should have mentioned this when we were talking about DeAndre Elliott, one of the guys that was working with Elliott between reps and helping him learn and get like the, um, the kickstep technique that the CX uses in press and getting it right was Richard Sherman. I mean, Sherman was was acting kind of like a coach out there with with Elliot and just really working with him one on one and really helping him learn, and that's the kind of leadership that the Seahawks have there. And part of the reason why it would have been really bad if the Seahawks had uh, traded uh, Sherman this off season because he is that leader. He is that guy who's willing to teach uh, the younger players. That's that's a great point. I and another reason why. I like Richard Sherman. I mean, and he's been that way since the day he walked in. I mean, he, and he's uh, very open, very willing to, to jump in and help guys. Um, very encouraging guy. So uh, the next guy on our, our list, Jeremy Lane, you mentioned. Um, Jeremy Lane's been with the team since 2012, actually, which um, it's, it's quite a while. He was the 172nd overall pick, round six. Uh, had that devastating injury, double injury, actually, in the Super Bowl uh, when he was tackled by Julian Edelman on a on a return. He broke his arm, which was nasty if you saw the picture of that. Oh, my God. It, I mean, his arm literally bent backwards and yeah, tore his it, ACL knee on the it looked same. Like he had two, it looked like he had two elbows. It was bad. Oh, it was, it was uh, ugly. It was really ugly. And, uh, and tore his ACL on the same play 
and then uh, missed uh, most of 2015 with that injury, um, and then kind of returned to the nickel spot in 2016. Um, talk to me about Jeremy Lane and how you see him fitting in this um, in, in camp and on the team in 2017. Well, what I want to know is which Jeremy Lane is going to show up. Because if it's the Jeremy Lane from uh, the Super Bowl years and the end of 2015 um, when he returned, then he's going to be the nickel corner and a guy that's going to be hard to get off the field. If it's the Jeremy Lane from 2016 that um, had a hard time staying with anybody and made a lot of both physical and mental mistakes throughout the year, he's going to have a hard time holding on to his job because there, there's enough guys here on the roster to push him off, or maybe not off the roster, but at least down far enough on the depth chart that we're not, not going to see much of him uh, this year. So 2016 was not a good year for Jeremy Lane. He did not play well. He made just mistake after mistake. He was one of the weaker links of that any, defense. Any theories why that may have happened? Honestly, I don't know. I, originally, when I was looking at it, I was thinking, I was like, oh, well, maybe it's, you know, residual uh, after the after the injury, you know, kind of that mental uh, aspect where you start hesitating and, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But then I went back and watched some of him, some of his play at the end of the 2015 year, and he looked good at the end of the 2015 year. So he came back and looked good uh, initially, and then it was the second year where he, when he struggled. So I'm not sure if it's the injury that has anything to do with it. Um, other than that, I don't know. Maybe he wasn't in as good a, good a shape. Maybe there was stuff going on in his private life that was interfering. I honestly have and sometimes no and, and sometimes you know small small injuries uh, are just undisclosed by the team and could you know make it a little bit more interesting for him, such as maybe a hamstring tweak or something like that, where it's just not quite right. His body, it's just not he's not mm-hmm. comfortable. Um, and so, but you're right. He needs to show up. Uh, yep. I think he's on the. Uh, he's actually for me. I don't know that he's necessarily on the bubble because I think that we need the experience that he brings uh, into that secondary unit. Um, but he's certainly a guy that could be pushed out after this season. Yeah, I mean, he could be. His contract makes it weird for them to cut him before this season. I mean, I know we're after June 1st, so they can spread the cap out, so they can actually move on if they choose to. But it's also better if they get another year out of him and actually have him play. I mean... I totally agree. It's better... It's always better if the guy comes in and plays really well because, well, then they got a good player. Um, He's also only 26. I mean, we think he's been around forever. This is going to be his sixth year. He's got five full seasons. And after uh, Richard Sermon, we really don't have anybody since Shedd is out. We don't have anybody that's really got the experience that Seahawks need in that secondary. Yeah. And, and so that's, it's an, it's, it's one of those things where uh, I, I just have a hard time seeing them, not keeping him just because of the experience and he's young enough. He has a rebound year this year. Um, why wouldn't you? So it and just I think makes be- a lot of sense. And before the draft and before Desir kind of emerged as, as being uh, on the list as the number two guy, everyone was really taking a look at Lane as being a guy that might step in and take that number two spot. I don't mm-hmm. see that at all at this point. And, and quite frankly, it's out of, he's kind of out of position there. Um, unless he really just steps up and have, has a career year. I think he's a much better fit 
um, inside the box. Yeah, I mean he's only six uh, six foot even, um, one ninety. So he's he's a smaller guy. Okay, he's small for the Seahawks at cornerback. He would be one of the taller cornerbacks on a lot of teams, but he's small for Seattle. They he fits the profile of the slot corner in Seattle's defense, and I think that's where they want him is on the inside. So after that, um, we get into uh, quite a few guys other than Richard um, who uh, are really competing to, to make the team this year. And one of those guys is Demetrius McRae. He's a 6'2 guy again, has the length. Uh, he's, he's been around a little while. He's, uh, was drafted in 2013 in the seventh round by the Jaguars, but he had a hard time, uh, sticking, uh, cut by the Jags before the 2016 season and signed, uh, um, to a futures contract with Seattle. Um, he's got a little bit of experience though. So he's got 46 games, 16 starts, he's got 86 career tackles and, uh, you know, a few handful of pass defenses, um, out there, um, but his resume is fairly short. I'm not exactly sure what we're going to get with this guy. Well, what they okay? So you got to remember that this is, his experience is in Jacksonville. Who is in Jacksonville uh, coaching um, down there? It's Gus Bradley, who uh, used to run uh, Seattle's defense before getting that job, and he moved down and um, and so he he has been playing in a very similar system. Um, and so he knows he kind of knows the defense. This was a this was a pickup by Seattle where they're hoping that okay, let's get him in here where instead of being surrounded by mediocre talent, he's going to be surrounded by top-notch talent and maybe they can get more out of him than Jacksonville was because he's got the length and he's got some of the measurables and they think they can they can use him and actually get more out of him than than Jacksonville was able to. Does that mean they will? No, but it's a nice um try for the team to, you know, just to, this is a, this is a talent. There's, he, they know he fits the system. So let's bring him in and see where, what he goes. I think he's got an uphill battle uh, to make the roster because of the players in front of him. But at the same time, if there's an injury or two during preseason or during training camp, uh, or if he just really comes on and, and shows that when you give him a guy like Earl Thomas behind him, uh, so he can take a few more chances and be a little more aggressive, and he he'll, he may step up and, and look really good. So we'll see. And but he's not a guy that I that I'm counting on anything from. But at the same time, there's no risk to the signing. There's no guaranteed money, and they think right. they could get a useful player out uh, of who someone who absolutely fits the mold of a Seattle cornerback. The next guy on the list is Shad, and we don't have to talk about him too much here. Um, unfortunately, he's got that ACL injury, and he's uh, he's looking to not start the season on the active roster. Um, again, I mentioned earlier, uh, they need to make a determination, um, usually after the bye week, uh, whether a guy is going to come back and, and uh, be able to contribute or if they're going to shut him down and go ahead and just wait on uh, Shad. What do you think? Well, they're going to... He'll start the year on the on the the physically unable to perform list, the pup list. That's the list for guys who were injured the previous year. He'll start training camp on that, which will allow him to go on to the regular season pup list, which requires that they miss um, miss games, miss at least six weeks, um, and then once they come, the, then the team can activate them, but they're still not on the roster because they get two a, a two week grace period with the roster spot. They have to now. It used to be that you had to 
make that decision um, in week six or week eight, depending on which area you are in. Um, and now they don't have to make that decision until later. They don't have to be, they don't lose that, um, the ability to have that grace period until week 15. So they can prep, they can bring him in, um, activate him in week 13 into that, um, that non-roster, but can still practice spot and then, uh, have him get, have two weeks of practice before he, he has to be on the active roster week 15. So it, it, there, the rules have changed. There's now a much longer window for them to to sit and boy, on this decision. And that really that really helps shed, especially if uh, other guys emerge on our team and uh, we don't need him. His best case scenario would be to be shut down. But you know, come playoffs, uh, injuries and and guys getting nicked up, uh, bringing shed back in uh, at the end of the season would be a definite plus for the Seahawks. Well, yeah, I mean. Quarterbacks one of those positions where injuries happen. There's just a lot of collisions um, on passes that come up and, and make plays against much bigger guys at running back when they have to come up and tackle. It, there's just There just tends to be a lot of injuries at corner, and so it's nice to have that depth and to have that guy not on the roster who was a starter last year and for most of the year before that you can, oh, we had an injury, you know, because... Um, you know, some player that was got hurt on a special teams play. Oh, guess what? Now we can bring this guy and add him to the roster, and um, have that have that depth remain and actually get better when you when you activate him. So it, it's kind of nice to have that. But you're right. A situation if he's not going to be available to play until week ten or week twelve, it might be better to just have him continue to recover and continue to rehab and. Uh, maybe get a, you know a little bit of practice time and just get a hundred percent and be ready for next season and not have that uh, worry of re-injury. And if they don't have injuries at the position, they may do that. The next guy on the list is Nico Thorpe. Uh, I think a guy that you really like, um, primarily a special teams contributor uh, for the Seahawks in 2016. Uh, we resigned him in March um, 2017. Um, Former Raider, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. The guy can the guy can play, but the question is, do the Seahawks want him to to be one of those key five contributors? Um, to me, they're gonna you're gonna have a hard time keeping him off the roster. Not necessarily because of the defense uh, aspect, but because he is one of the best special teams gunners in the NFL. Go back and watch um, the John Ryan punts. And who's the first guy up to the ball on every one of them? It's it's Thorpe. He was a huge reason uh, why the Seahawks special teams rebounded last year and uh, were much improved over the year before because his ability to get down the field on kickoffs and on punts and make plays it was it was just re- it was really good. I mean, he was he was arguably the best gunner in the NFL last year, which says a lot because there's some a lot of really good ones. Uh, and so the, the team loves him. He's got a lot of speed. And then you go, okay, well, can he play defense? Because we don't want, you don't want to fill the roster full of guys like a guy we talked about last week, uh, Dewey McDonald, who is a good special teams player, was the guy on the other side of, of Thorpe for most of those um, most of those punts and stuff, but offers nothing to the defense. Thorpe can actually come in and play. Now, he came in, played in a, in a couple of games, um, when the CX got nicked up, um, so that they they brought him in, he played 
outside uh, at cornerback and um, didn't ever move into the nickel, but they would you know slide other guys in and that kind of thing. And he ha- he looked really good. Now he was also the guy that came in um, and was that third cornerback when Shed got hurt in the playoffs. So Thorpe came in, played that outside spot. They they you know would slide yep. Lane in and, and that kind of thing. And he looked. In that game, he looked okay. There did was, they, there was some, did they, some problems. Did they play him over Elliott? They did. So there you go. Both, both of those guys got um, got some playing time, but Thorpe was the first guy off the bench when they needed when they needed one of those two. So they, when, they would bring Thorpe in first. When you're talking about a bubble on the uh, defensive back um, roster, you're looking at Elliott. Thorpe and possibly this next guy, which is Michael Tyson, who we picked up in this year's draft, six one two oh five. They've got him. Uh, I think they're they're trying to put him into this um, the nickel spot, but um, maybe you can talk about Mike Tyson. I don't know too much about him, to be completely honest. Um, but uh, Keith, do you have anything on on Tyson at all? Well, Tyson was just never the same after he got beat by Buster Douglas. <laughs> oh, wait, that's the that's the wrong Mike Tyson. Um, so, <laughs> anyways, uh, I've been waiting to get a joke like that in since we drafted I, the guy. You know what? Um, and I'm just gonna let you have it. I'm gonna let it just sit right there. <laughs> so, no, um, Tyson was a college safety, and the Seahawks looked at him and they go, "You know what? He's got the measurables, the speed, the quickness, um, all of that stuff to be a cover corner." I mean, he's they they look at him and they go, we he can play corner. He can stay with wide receivers, even the quick ones, um, because he's quick enough to, he's fast enough to, he's kind of got that suddenness to his movements, as the explosion. They really like the idea of him being a corner. And so they he was a college safety who they're going to play at corner. It's going to be a learning process for him because he's going to have to learn to um, to recognize routes and uh to read the receivers as they're reaching the stem of their route and that kind of thing um he the kick step technique the Seahawks use which I can't use as an audio podcast and not a visual one so I can't really um I don't really want to get into a lot but it actually will help him because it it forces the receiver to declare kind of where they're going to go um early and so then he kind of knows at least which direction they're releasing, and then he's just I got a matter, you know, finding that, um, the you know at the at the, at the high point of the route where they're going to make their break and 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 tracking at that point, um, so the, so it, it will really help him. Uh, this isn't the first time they've taken a safety and moved them to corner uh, initially. So do you so, agree uh, with my assessment that those three players are kind of the guys that? Uh, come down to making the roster or getting cut. Maybe a guy like Tyson would be a good candidate for the practice squad if he can land on there and stick. If he can land on there and stick. And I think the team would love uh, Tyson to make the roster in part because of his size and speed combination. They think he'll be a good special teams guy. And if they have five healthy corners, they won't need him for the first few weeks. And hopefully they can continue his learning process and get him there. But yeah, if they can slide him onto the practice squad, you've got um, Tyson, Thorpe, McRae, um, Elliot, Elliot, maybe Desir, uh, all kind of battling for three spots. So 
I mean, and, and I'm counting, um, I'm counting Shackerfin is on, I'm counting Richard Sherman is on the roster, uh, I'm counting Jeremy Lane is on the roster at this point. Um, you don't have to count Shed. And I, I'm counting Shed as a guy that's not going to be on the roster, not that right. he's going to get cut, but he's going to be on the, the pup list. Right. Um, and that doesn't count as a roster spot. So I've got three guys that are on, and so now you've got you know Tyson, you've got Thorpe, you've got Desir, um, and you've uh, got Elliot. So you got four guys um, there, kind of competing for one or two spots, probably two spots in this particular group. Well, I exercise three, so it, you could have uh, three. And I think you've up, made a, up you've, two three spots, but I think I it's think... going to be two. You've made a strong argument for Thorpe to stick, uh, just because of his special team acumen, and then um, and the McRae's got a... the experience. Yep, which will be interesting. Yeah, Nico had some playing time too uh, mm-hmm. in the defense last season, um, and uh, and we've talked about how we like Elliot. It it could come down to Tyson and Elliot possibly. It's weird because going into the draft, we looked at this position and we go. Wow, there's Richard Sherman who was talking about wanting a trade and all of that, and then very little behind him. There was like just it, there was a reason why everyone was panicking about cornerback and wanting the Seahawks to to take a um, a, a guy at 26. Um, and now I get we get past the draft. We know that Richard Sherman's going to be here. That he's been working with the team, working hard, you know, doing his normal Richard Sherman thing, working with young players at OTAs, and you go, okay, so, so he's bought in. Um, we've seen, um, you know, kind of the that way Shaq Griffin has looked in, in these practices, and he's kind of stood out and looked great. And now suddenly you have this this position has gone from, oh wow, this is this is kind of a nightmare situation. You're feeling, wow, this is a deep group. The team is going to have to cut at least one very talented player. Yeah. No, it looks very um, good. I mean, if you if so. you take a look at Sherman, Lane, Griffin, and Desir, um, and then you've got Shed coming back eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's your five guys that will ultimately want you want to stick. Um, but then the other guys that they've got aren't aren't bad and in Elliot and um McCray and Thorpe and then you've got Tyson that we don't we will have to see. Um, so a good solid group. Um, yeah, one of the things I, you, I like that it. you look at when you start trying to, to pencil in, okay, who's going to make the roster and who's not, is that you have Tyson, who was a college safety, and they, he can play both. You've got uh, Desir, who played uh, free safety in San Diego, so he can offer um, you know some flexibility there. So you go, okay, well, maybe we'll keep an extra corner, but since we're keeping those guys... Um, that helps us with depth at safety, and so we can keep one fewer safety on the roster. So I'd hate to get out of here without giving Richard Sherman his due. So we should talk about Richard Sherman, who's actually just a very special player. 6'3", really 195, 5th round out of Stanford in 2011, which pains me to say it, 2011. I mean, he's been in the league now, um, entering his, what would be his, what, 6th, 7th season? Um He's got the most interception and defended passes of any active player. Crazy. A key, a little tidbit that I wanted to add is that he was an All-American triple jumper in high school and finished third in the state of California in the 110-meter uh, hurdles, which I, I found interesting to me. So he's you know, it, just an it athletic shows, special guy. It shows guy. his athleticism um, that's more than just you know, the 40-yard dash. 
Um, right. You know, he's, he's, and that was one of the things when, when Sherman was coming out of college, he had been a wide receiver. Um, he, yeah, he, 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 cl- he, he actually, as a, as a freshman in 2006, he was named a freshman All-American as a receiver. Yeah, as a receiver. But he clashed with Harbaugh, and anyone that's been around the Seahawks knows um, Sherman's got a huge personality. And, you know, so he, he clashed with Harbaugh. There was issues. He's not going to back down. Eventually, he moved to the defense um, by his own choice. Um, and his first, first, uh, at first he looked, was a mess there. Um, and even coming out after, you know, having uh, a full year, his technique was poor. Yeah. Uh, he, he doesn't, he didn't test great in terms of his 40 yard dash. So there was concerns there. People looked at his height at six, three and they go, well, he's never going to be agile enough to cover, uh, NFL wide receivers because he's too tall. At the time, everyone's thought five eleven was like the ideal prototype yeah. of a of a cornerback, and he's six three. Um, and so that's those are some of the reasons why he dropped. Plus, you've got rumors that um, that Harbaugh was bad mouthing him and Doug Baldwin uh, to NFL teams, which caused him to drop. But the CX took a chance on him. They rebuilt his technique from the ground up, um, and this is Chris Richard's like. This is what he did, and this, you know, his resume is that he turned Richard Sherman from this completely unrefined athlete into a first-team All-Pro, and a lot of that and a future Hall of Famer. Yeah, you you got to give Richard Sherman credit for that because he worked his ass off. Well, this is a perfect example, Keith, of in the NFL not being able to uh, see into a, a man's heart and look at into a man's mind and understand the desire to be great you know yeah. that that some of these that separate uh good draft picks from great draft picks or draft picks that look like they should be number one guys coming out of college that end up washing out in the nfl and guys like richard sherman drafted in the fifth round from stanford after playing corner just a couple of years to to being a hall of fame guy it's yeah. it's a testament he, to richard sherman absolutely special player just special special player and i know people people love to hate him maybe not in seattle some fans do um but but outside of seattle people love to hate him because he's loud and he's got the big personality and he speaks out on politics and he actually it's funny keith because even for me when he first emerged on the scene i just didn't know what to think because Seattle has been a totally, completely void of players like Richard Sherman for the entire history of the Seahawks. We've never had a personality, like a, a, a national personality uh, on the mm-hmm. Seahawks team that would just uh, dominate um, the news o- yeah, almost and, year round. And you see him out there uh, trash talking after every play and getting, <laughs> in, getting in it with guys and just doing that kind of stuff. And... I got to tell you, if the, the reason why I was able to just accept Sherman and love his game and love his personality and everything right away was because of Gary Payton. Because when I was, when I was younger and Gary Payton was in Seattle with the Sonics, all of his trash talk and all of the bravado and all of that, I struggled with because I really liked his game and I loved watching him play, but I had a hard time rooting for him. And it took... 
time for me to learn to to just there are guys like that, and there's nothing right. wrong with it, and it can be fun, and they love the game, and they well, love and the special thing. Do. The special and, thing about the two guys you mentioned is they still both have humility yes. in, in their moments, you know, their their personalities because they're on the air and so forth. But Richard Sherman is involved in so many different things to help people and uh, in his foundations and so forth. And, um, you know, you break down the, you know, you get away from the, the camera and he's a special guy. He is. And so I is Gary I, Payton. Yeah, I had a chance to talk to to Richard at his softball game because um, I've I've been there and I've covered it um, as a media member twice, and he's really open about it, and and so he he makes time for for the media uh, members and just really want likes to to get in and, and and talk with us and tells his story and the story of the foundation and everything he does, and he's just really good about all that stuff. And I've had a chance to talk to him a couple times because of that, and he. He's he's a much more down to earth guy when the cameras are off than people think. Um, he's just a really nice guy. Really cares that his foundation is doing great things, um, and you know that they're helping kids. And he just really wants to be a part of that. He's and there there there's so much to like about about Sherman. And so you're so you think that he he kind of has a persona, of, yeah, a, a public persona versus a private. He Got does. It. He does have a little bit of. So one of the things to think about with Sherman is he is got a master's degree from Stanford in business and communications. Um, and, yeah, and he is he is really really smart. He is not a guy who went to Stanford entirely because the football team had to make. Um, you know, push the admin department to get him in. No, he is. <laughs> He is a guy who academically succeeded while at Stanford, um, and he did a lot of business and marketing and communication stuff. He is a guy. He knows exactly what he's doing all the time. Yes, he is a guy who is a master of branding. He keeps himself in the news. He keeps the Seahawks in the news. He uh, says a lot of things. When he went on to first take and did the whole – uh, I'm better at life than you with um, Skip Bayless. It was pre-planned, premeditated. Right. He knew that it would be the story for the next week, and it made it sure that Sherman didn't wasn't a great player hidden in Seattle. That everybody knew who he was. That everyone was watching him play, and everyone. Could would then recognize just how good he's been, right. whereas it, otherwise it well, would be really easy to ignore him because he plays out up in this little corner of the country. Well, and, and it started for him by tooting his own horn from the very beginning. I mean, he yep. said, "I'm the best cornerback there is," and that was after his rookie season, you know, where he still had a lot to prove. And then he went mm-hmm. out and proved it, which was yeah. why he ended up being where he was. He is yeah. all he was the he talked the talk, but that guy could walk the walk. And there's, and you've got to be able to do that to be, to, to, to be successful. And I'm glad the team worked it out with him to keep him. Cause I know there, there is some issues with him and, um, the coaches, uh, Pete Carroll, Sherman's kind of lost a little bit of the buy-in as far as the Pete Carroll system and the, you know, the, the always positive and, and, you know, that kind of stuff. So there was, there was, the trade talk was real, um, 
But I'm glad they were able to keep him. I'm glad they were able to get him on board because it's more than just his on-field play, which is great. It's those things we talked about earlier. Um, every time I'm at a training camp practice, I see Sherman working with one of the younger guys. Um, I saw him working with Shed a few years ago and just work, you know, basically just drilling him and drilling him and drilling him on, on his footwork. He'll um, even work with wide receivers. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I've seen, I've seen that too, where he comes in and he's teaching wide receivers. He's like, Hey, this is what I'm looking at. I'm looking at your hips and you're telling me where you're going and when you're going to do it, you're making my job easier. And so he'll yeah. work with them on how to, you know, um, basically loosen up their hips and make it look like they're going inside when they're going to go out and that kind of stuff. And just, um, he, he's willing to teach and be a part of that and be a leader. And you can never have enough guys like that on your team. They're really, really rare. They really are. You just don't see guys work with other players the same way that Sherman works with guys. And well, uh, and, he, it's yeah, a and that makes him, him, and that makes him, you know, the unquestioned leader of that group. And, and one of the uh, leaders of the entire team. There's no, no doubt about it. And in the locker room, he's very well respected. Yeah, he went off a few times. I think that is interpreted by most of his teammates as just being Richard Sherman, being the most, one of the most passionate players yep. about football on the team. And they give him the, the, he's earned that uh, mm-hmm. ability to, 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 to do that. And I think as long as they keep it inside the team, uh, inside the locker room, uh, they'll be fine. They'll be totally fine. Um, yeah, when you when you talk to Doug Baldwin, um, and you look, read, go through and read some of the quotes that he's had recently, and one of the things he says is that, yeah, sure, you know, we're not. Uh, this isn't a uh, just a big party and where everyone loves each other in the locker room. But that's the same in every single locker room and in the NFL. The difference is is that the Seahawks aren't afraid to be open about, hey, this is what's going on because it happens in every locker room and they're not going to hide it. They're not going to lie about it. And that and, comes from Pete Carroll. And that comes from Pete Carroll and his willingness to be open about those things. And so it, it, it comes down to, is it okay in the locker room? Do the guys that are there care that it's in the media or do is it a big deal for them? Is it a turnoff for them? Because if it is, then it becomes a problem. And if it's not then it's not a problem. And it doesn't matter if it's a problem for me or for you or for other fans. It only matters if it's a problem for the other guys in the locker room. So that wraps up the position group segment today and and, uh, most of the podcast. Keith, did you have a question this week that came up? I actually did not get a uh, mailbag question this week. So that's that's good. If you do have questions, by all means, write to us. Uh, Either write a... uh, a question uh, at the end of the of a thread on the podcast uh, on the website, um, or, or hit us hit us up on Twitter. Yeah, find us on Twitter. Send a an, a question. That would be great. We'll answer them on the air, no problem. And uh, that's it for this week. Uh, look next week for our show to talk about safeties. We'll throw the the punter and the kicker in there, and maybe a long snapper or two as well, and get that wrapped up. and And uh, we'll be done with our kind of series on uh, camp battles to look forward to and we'll move on to other things uh you can find keith at myers nfl myself north uh at nw seahawk you'll find the show at hawks playbook we've got our own website now at hawksplaybook.com where all the podcasts are located 
And then you can still subscribe on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio and uh, find us uh, on your any app that plays podcasts. You can also subscribe there as well. So anything else to add, Keith? Not at all. Just that I'm tired of this rain. Can we get the sun back for a couple I, of days? I, I hear it's coming. I think after, I think Friday it starts to turn the corner and I looked at the 10-day long-term forecast and it looks pretty good. So I got my fingers crossed. It. As long as it, you said it's turning the corner on Friday, that means a good weekend. So I'm, I'm up yes, for that. Yes, yes. And I'm actually flying out this weekend. We are uh, going to San Francisco for like four days or something. So I've got I've got family and friends and relatives and all that stuff in town. And we're all going to San Francisco. And we're supposed to have this great time. Um, and going, to 40, so, going to 49er country. Bring your Seahawk gear. Yes. <laughs> yes. I like that attitude. I'm not afraid to do that either. So awesome. I've got a, a sister-in-law that lives down in San Jose, and she is a Niner. But she did, uh-huh. nip, she did make me a Seahawk blanket, as a good sister-in-law will do occasionally. She'll come to the other side, and she'll meet me halfway. And we have you know, beer, beer bets. And so um, it's all good. I, I will definitely show up, though, in at least a hat. Bring a awesome. hat. Yeah, you got to do it. Got to do it. All so right, that's, let's that's wrap it. this up. Yep, that's it this week. Thanks, Keith, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, thanks guys. Thanks for listening, everyone. The Hawks Playbook Podcast is brought to you by the Fan Sided Network and TwelfthManRising.com. Find our podcast on the website or subscribe on iTunes. You can find both Bill and Keith on Twitter. Bill is at NWC Hawk. And Keith is at Myers NFL.